Amen and amen. Well, good morning, everybody. And for those of you online and some even around the world, we welcome you. And I wish I could uh, be able to say a greeting in all your language, but uh, we are so grateful that each of you are here. What a glorious day it is to be here in the house of the Lord here in 2021. And we made it through 2020. Uh, someone gave me a uh, a coffee cup that uh, said, I made it through the 2020 toilet paper crisis. And uh, so I'm glad I made it through 2020. The truth is, there has been a, a lot of craziness in 2020. I will tell you, I mean, even the virus, of course, is a, certainly a big uh, issue, but all the things that are associated with that has maybe even been greater. But uh, also the upheaval in so many nations, and uh, even in America, just been uh, really just remarkable. And then, of course, uh, ending with this uh, very uh, uh, just uh, dark, uh, gloomy election process. Boy, I tell you what, it's just been uh, quite a year. And we really don't know uh, what the future holds. And I will tell you, I, I never would have thought, and it, in the 200-year history of America... They have never, the government has never been allowed to shut down churches. And now this year, kind of almost like you read in the book of Revelation, they had a reason why you couldn't meet. And now they have successfully shut down churches. And today, the great majority of churches, certainly here in California, are shut down in our area. And what a tragic thing. And people say, well, we're, we're holding church online. And I we pastors say that, but the truth is, uh, it's a nice time to, uh, and we're glad to have that medium, uh, but the word church means gather. And so uh, when they, when we no longer allow people to gather, these are serious moments. I, there has been such a paradigm shift in the world. I just, you just kind of wonder what the future holds. And when you see the writing and even encouraged uh, writing by the government in some of these places like Portland and Minneapolis and other places, you just wonder, you know, that the, the leaders are out there, you know, pounding on doors and stuff and, and uh, all the things that people are saying. I mean, folks, the truth is, uh, it, is uh, it is a dark season. And some people have asked me, even after last Sunday preaching on the book of Revelation, and some have said, uh, is, there, is there hope for us? Is there as a church, as God's people, uh, what about my children? What about my grandchildren? Is there any light at the end of the tunnel? Really, that question uh, implies, I think, a, a sub-question and maybe a bigger question, and that is the question, why is it that sin continues to prosper? I mean, all the lies that are being told by government officials, all the lies that are being uh, given to us by the media, by the, uh, by the false uh, uh, teaching out there, the academia, all the deceptions of the world, as Pastor Luke so, and thank God that brave enough to stand up here and to just call out abortion what it is, it is murder. And folks, so when you see all of that, I mean, honestly, you just wonder why in the world, why does it keep getting worse? And because it's getting worse, is there any hope? And um, I think if we were honest, sometimes we get a little bit gloomy. And if we were honest, I think we get a little bit just um, feeling bad, just almost like depressed. Like, why doesn't something change? Well, God wrote Revelation chapter 10 that we're going to go over this morning for us to remind us the answer to that question. And that is that thank God there is a day coming when the mystery of God's silence is going to be answered. It is going to be broken, and that silence, when it's broken, is connected to the seventh trumpet. And that's what we're going to read out today in just a few moments, that Christ will come, and Satan will be halted, and he will be bound in chains, and he will be delivered to a prison, and all those wicked demons with him. Sin with all of its carnage and its broken hearts and broken dreams and broken marriages and family will be healed. 
All the political swindles that go on face are going to face God. Now, what is it that signals this dramatic change? That is when a presence angel, one of those that are in the presence of God, stands up with a shofar, a big uh, trumpet, and announces the fact that God is going and has won the victory. But before the trump is blown, there's an interlude that takes place, a pause. Thank God for a little bit of time to regroup. And that's the Apostle John has been given a little time to kind of stop for a minute, get emotionally prepared, spiritually prepared. And that's what we're talking about today in Revelation chapter 10, a pause of peace, a little break so that we can then have this seventh trumpet, which then announces the beginning of the end for sin, the beginning of the end for demons and, all, and the devil himself. Well, I hope that we're paying attention. And I hope that those of you that are watching will be paying attention because we need to listen. I uh, had to laugh this week speaking about paying attention. I read the story this week about uh, some people, two gas company servicemen, a senior training supervisor and a young trainee. They were checking out gas meters and parked their truck at the end of an alley, and they worked their way to the other end. At the last house, the woman was looking out her kitchen window when he watched the two men as they checked those gas meters. As they finished the meter check, the older supervisor challenged his younger co-worker to a foot race down the alley back to their truck. As they came running up to their truck, they realized that that lady from the last house was huffing and puffing right behind them. They stopped and asked her, what was wrong? What are you doing? Gasping for breath, she said, when I see two gas men running full speed away from my house, I figured I better run too. <laughs> now, folks, I think uh, those of you that are out there listening and those of us here this morning, when we read what we read in the Bible, I think we better pay attention. Amen. We need to pay attention Amen. to what God is saying. And so uh, Revelation chapter 10, a pause of peace. Let's bow for a word of prayer, if you would. Father, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be here. And Lord, I do pray we're paying attention. Thank you for this blessed day, the Lord's day. It's not soccer day. It's not Netflix day, Lord. It's not, not beach day. It is the Lord's day. Thank you for the chance to be together and for this church here. Lord, I'm just so blessed with this good crowd here this morning and for the hundreds that are listening. God, would you just bless us today? In your name we pray. Amen. All right, let's go to Revelation chapter 8 here this morning. It is a blessed rest that God is going to hear with Last week, the chapter was very uh, strong and very bold, uh, very strong teaching. And so it's nice to have a little rest. And albeit, the rest is going to be also very dramatic. Two things about this rest, and it's not in your notes there. It is a nice rest. It's nice that God, in the midst of all the uh, craziness, uh, gives a chance to tell John the Beloved a way to catch his breath a little bit. You got to remember now, this is written to us as we look ahead. It is written to those that are in the tribulation, born again people who were lost at the time of the rapture. The rapture came like a thief in the night and they were left behind. Then somehow by the mercy of God, millions will get saved, led perhaps by the thousands of soul-winning Jewish people and witnesses. And so these are people, flesh and blood people, just like you and I. And I trust you're born again today because if Jesus were to come right now, you'd be left behind. And I trust that you know him as your personal Lord and Savior. But if you don't and you get left behind, you'll know, and this uh, little passage here is to know that you can be saved. And so there are these believers Millions of them around the world were at the last half of that seven-year period, and all hell is breaking loose. I mean, you can't hardly get any food without this mark. Everywhere you go, go you're told to do this, you're told to do that. One-fourth of humanity was killed in one of the plagues, a third in another. 
They are taking bulldozers and just pushing bodies into mass graves. There are this demonic horde of spirit beings that are munching on people, according to the last chapter. It's just like something you'd see out of a, out of a movie. It's just unbelievable. So the fact that God would stop for a moment and say, John, you need to just pause here. I want to give you a time to regroup, time to take a breath, get spiritually ready and prepared for what's going to happen. And so it's nice that God would do that. Not only is this a chapter and this preparation nice, it is also necessary. It is necessary because God is storing up some big storm. You know, sometimes we see those hurricanes, you see the weather reports, and they're out there spinning. And the longer they're out there spinning, the more you're like, okay, this is going to be a big thing. And so it is not only nice, but thank God, it is a necessary rest. And so that's what chapter 10 is. All right, there are four parts to this pause of peace. Let's look at it together. First of all, it is a startling message, a startling message. Let's read verse number one together, if you would. Read verse one. Ready? Out loud? All right, let's read it together. Begin. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun, his feet as pillars of fire. Wow, what an astonishing message. And I saw. And I saw it. You talk about a breathtaking vision. What is it? It says another angel, not one of the presence angels that we've been talking about, that uh, divine secret service group that's around the throne. But this is another angel. The Bible calls it a mighty angel. The Greek word means strong, a strong angel. This is not one of the seven presence angels that's been blowing, but it says another angel. Some have suggested that maybe this is actually Jesus, and it's possible, I guess. But the word another means another of the same. Since Jesus Christ is deity, he is God in the flesh, he certainly wouldn't be another of the same, meaning of the angels. And actually, in no place in the book of Revelation is Jesus ever called an angel. And so in keeping then with the book of Revelation, the pattern of it, and the fact that uh, it is another of the same kind, we would get a sense that it's not then Jesus. What is it? It is an angel. What kind? A mighty angel, a strong angel. Many have suggested, and I think when we compare other scriptures, it might in fact be Michael, the warrior angel. Let's go to Daniel chapter 5, please, and we find Daniel's dazzling end times vision. The original prayer warrior, Michael. Look at verse 5 of Daniel chapter 10. Then I lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with fine gold of up as. His body was also like burl, his face as an appearance of lightning, his eyes like a lamp of fire, his arms and his feet like in color to polish brass, and his voice as the words of the voice of a multitude. Who is this mighty strong angel? Well, verse 13, further down, it says, is is Michael or Mikael, as the Hebrews would say it. And I think it's a good way to remind it because you see the last little phrase or last little a couple letters of the word Michael is L, which means God. It means who is like God. This is Michael, the warrior angel. And so let's go back to Revelation chapter 10. Notice what it says, that this strong angel, maybe it's Michael, probably it's Michael, who is now clothed with a cloud, like a wrap. My wife wears these wraps to kind of keep herself warm but not get too hot. And so here, Mikael, Michael, wraps around him the clouds themselves. Why clouds? Many times a cloud uh, and a storm uh, and thunder is a uh, idea of judgment. Jesus uh, gave us that sense in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 30. It says, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, 
coming in clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Undeniably, judgment oftentimes in Scripture is signified by thunder and lightning. And so that would fit the imagery here in Revelation chapter 10. And so then this is Michael, the warrior angel. This is not your chubby little cherub that sits out in the garden on a little fountain, you know. No, this is a mighty warrior angel. Notice also about this angel, Michael, that a rainbow was on his head. A rainbow was on his head. Why would a rainbow be on the head of this angel? Well, one of the rules of biblical interpretation, also sometimes known as hermeneutics, is the law of first mention. The law of first mention is that in Scripture, the most clear and the most full description of any doctrine is found in its first mention. And then throughout Scripture, there are other ways to explain what that is. And so if we're going to follow that rule of interpretation, let's go to the first place God mentioned a rainbow in Scripture. That is in the book of Genesis, right after the flood, as a testimony, God said, I am never going to destroy the world by uh, flood again. And so he put a rainbow, a promise of peace in the skies. He wasn't trying to give a certain group of people a a symbol that that they have stolen today. Isn't it sad that uh, sinful groups will take uh, beautiful things from God's word and steal it? But anyway, in the book of Tribulation... Here we find this Michael, this strong angel with uh, clouds around him. This is thunder. This is judgment. And yet in the midst of judgment, there is a rainbow of promise, which really signified the fact of mercy. And so if I was uh, in this time, thank God I won't be, by His grace I've been saved. But if I was living in the, book, in the time of the tribulation, I was a believer And I saw this mighty angel, and it was thundering, and I was like, oh, what's going on? And then I would see that rainbow. I would remember that God said that in the midst of the thunder, there's a promise of peace. There's a promise of mercy, and that's what the rainbow would signify. And we know that that's really what it means because we can go to the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, a time when God's people were spiritually low, steeped in corruption. Most were nominal Christians. God said, in the midst of all of that, I know who's real and I know who's not. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 17, and they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In that day when I make up my jewels, I will spare them. In that day when I come back, I know who's true and I know who's not. Who's a jewel and who is cubic zirconium. I know who's real as a man that spareth his own son that serves him. Then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serves God and him that serves not. It's hard for us to tell. We sometimes can't figure out who is really serving God and who is not. Here God is saying, don't be worried, believer, in that time. And really, I think he's telling us the same thing. God knows who's real. God knows what's going on. And at that time, his saints, the real ones, will be like jewels. He keeps track of them. They are rare and beautiful and glorious and protected by God. And so this judgment angel Michael is crowned with a cloud around him, with this uh, rainbow on his head, and this rainbow is a reminder of the mercy of God. Thank God if if we are born again, We will never be swept up in the judgment of God. And I just want to give an encouraging word here as we begin 2021. I will tell you, you talk about jewels. The home church in 2020 has been a crowd of wonderful jewels for God. I thank you. You have shined for the Lord. I'm so grateful for your love, for your support. I was looking at the financial report uh, here this last week and just thought, it is amazing. In 2020... Uh, more was given than in 2019. Isn't that just a God? You talk about jewels. Thank you. Because that means we can reach more for the Lord. Well, then it says that this Michael, his face was like the sun. His face 
Like the sun, well, why not? It comes down out of the sky. It is unavoidably bright. So bright, you could not even really look at it. As brilliant as the daylight. That's what the glory of God is just like. Now, if Michael, the angel, who spends time in the presence of God, if Michael is so full of glory, imagine what God is himself. No wonder the scripture proclaims in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29, that our God is a consuming sun. He's a consuming star. He's a consuming fire. The fact is, if we ever saw the face of God, we would be incinerated instantly. I've talked with people before. Uh, they'll say something like, you know what, I, I kind of need proof if I'm going to uh, believe in God. I need, uh, I'm one of those scientific types, you know. I just really need to see God before I would believe. Well, to that I say with Jack Nicholson, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> the fact is you couldn't handle God because the Bible says if you saw God, you'd be incinerated instantly because he is so bright. He is so holy. It'd be like us trying to get even a little closer to the sun. We'll be incinerated. Now let's go back to this, uh, the description of this mighty angel. It says his feet, pillars of fire, including his legs, fiery legs, fiery feet would indicate that they are full of judgment. They are treading out the very ashes of evil. And so God is encouraging the saints, don't be afraid because this angel, this godly Michael is not here to hurt you because you're his jewels, but he's here to stamp out evil. And we see that also in Malachi chapter 4 and verse 3, and ye shall tread down the wicked for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. And in that day, ye shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. You wonder, what is going to happen in 2021? Well, if the Lord comes, He's going to stamp out all the evil. Folks, I'm, I pray that some things change politically in our country. I, change, I pray that the wickedness changes, but I will tell you this, there is coming a time when it does change. I know it's going to change because God says He's going to stamp out all the evil, all the wickedness. It says He's going to put it under the soles of His feet. Now, let's turn our attention to the angel's hand. Look in verse 2 of chapter 10. And he had in his hand a little book open. And he set his foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the earth. A little book. What is this little book? Well, you got to know that they didn't have books like we have back now. But it's actually a scroll. But it says it was in the hand of God the Father, why is it a to judge the world, to do with the property as they like? Well, who owns the world? Jesus owns this world. It has been given to him. The God the Son has been given to God the Son by God the Father. And so God the Father is giving this uh, title deed through the angel. Why is it little? Well, because it's in the hand of God. And so it is, a, it is a book that's full of the trumpets of God, the seals of God. And as we'll see in the coming you'd say, well, why? Because, folks, everything in God's hand is little. I've heard people say before, well, when I pray, I only bring to God the big things because I don't want to bother him with the small things. Folks, there's nothing that is big to God. Even my big things are small to God. So take them all to him. And so here's this little book, this little scroll with a startling message. And he's about ready to open this message. Look at the last part. It says he set his foot on the sea and his left foot on the earth. Now folks, this is one mighty angel. Michael is here like King Kong on steroids. And he's out there. He is standing there. And he has this, uh, this dramatic presentation. Why is he on the sea and on the land? That's because God owns everything. He delivered this world into the hand of Lucifer, or Satan, the fallen Lucifer. In the hand of Satan, he has dominion right now. He is the prince and the power of the air now. But God is saying, no more. That time is done. Now, folks, no matter what we vote 
good and righteous, no matter how conservative we can get the Senate or the, or the House or the White House, and all that can be good so that we can present the gospel. But the fact is, folks, this is still, this world is still under the hands of the prince and the power of this world. There's, there's the demonic influence wherever you go. And God has allowed that. But there's coming a time when that's going to be over. And this angel is saying it's time. Whether it be on the world or whether it be in the sea, God owns it all. That's why God said in, in Psalm 24 and verse 1, the earth is the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and they that dwell therein. God is owner. And since he's owner, he owns it all. What he's saying is, demons, you can't go anywhere and be safe. He's saying to the evil one, the Antichrist and the false prophet, you can't go to the sea and be safe. You can't hide anywhere. Today, people hide. People go underground. People go wherever. But now there's coming a day when there'll be no place to hide. Look at verse 3 of that chapter 10. And he cried with a loud voice, as when a lion roars. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. One of the awesomeness about this startling message is that it is intimidating. It is, comes roaring forth like a lion. A roaring lion is often a symbol of God trying to get the attention of people. Look at Hosea chapter 11 verse 10. Then they that shall walk after the Lord, he shall roar like a lion when he shall roar and the children shall tremble from the rest. This prophet said when God calls his people, it's like a roar. Well, I tell you what, I think we could all say this past year, 2020, God has been roaring. Amen. I mean, there has been a roar. It is a wake-up call to the church. It is a wake-up call to this lost world. God has been roaring. In fact, he said it's like seven claps of thunder. It says seven thunders utter their voices. Seven is a symbol of completeness, and thunder is often associated, as I mentioned earlier, with the judgment. First Samuel chapter 7, verse 10, as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel, but the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day against the Philistines. I mean, he must have just shook that nation, and they were just fearful. Folks, God is going to shake this old world. God says, here's the portrait of my angel. Get it in your mind and look at it. It's about ready to happen. A startling message. Number two, a sealed message. Look at verse four. A sealed message. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write and heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, seal up those things which are in the seven thunders uttered and write them not. Wait a second. <laughs> what? Seal it up? Don't say anything about it? If I had been the apostle John, I'd be like, um, am I supposed to write this or not? Back, remember in Revelation chapter 1, God told uh, John, write this down. Now he's saying, don't write this down. <laughs> Seal it up. Don't talk about this. Why? I think because it was so unnerving. It is so uh, so huge, this moment. It's like a gathering hurricane. You need to stop, catch your breath, do some spiritual preparation, get some prayer going, because what's about ready to happen is going to shake you to your core. And if I was a tribulation saint living, I'd say, oh boy, I'm about ready to get shaken. It's, we better get prayed up. If you've ever heard about getting prayed up, that's what God was saying. He's saying, it's not time to write this. You need to get prayed up. It's funny how sometimes God tells us not to pray and sometimes to pray. You may recall in Jeremiah chapter 7, the great uh, prophet Jeremiah, God said to his people, therefore do not pray for this people, nor lift up a cry or prayer for them, nor make intercession to me, for I will not hear you. God was saying these people are so full of thievery, they're so deceitful, they're so immoral, and yet they come into the church, they come into the temple, they act like they're big uh, holy people, 
He said, the truth is, their lives are so given over to the evil one. He said, they have completely given themselves over to sin. It reminds me of what it says in Romans chapter 1 where it says they gave themselves over. God said there's no need to pray for them. Just like he said in 1 John chapter 4, I think, where it says, where it says don't pray for some people. And that's what God is saying here. This is, a, this is a time when it is a sealed message. It's a time to reflect. And by the way, I might just might add here, I think it's one of the powerful things about coming to in-person church. You know, it's one of the few times where really we are required to sit still and listen. You know, I mean, I'm all for the media and the opportunity we have, and I know some folks just simply cannot get out, and so that's why we're glad to provide this uh, media, and we love each one of you. But the fact is, uh, when you're at home, you can get up and go get a, you know, a Pepsi, or you can go in there and cook dinner, and maybe you're listening, maybe you're not. But when you're in church, when you're in-person church, we're required to sit and listen and get preached to for a few moments. And for 45 minutes or an hour or so, it is required of us to simply focus on the Lord. That's a powerful thing. And it's really not something that happens any other place. Every time we are all, you know, we're, most of us are so busy, we're like have ADD, you know what I mean? We're just like doing this, doing that. But at church, we sit. And pause. And that's why and sometimes it's called a day of rest. It's meaning not, not doing anything. It just means sitting down and letting your spirit just rest. It, this is a sealed message. It is a time not to move. It's a time to just reflect. That's what God is saying. Regroup. It's time to get because it's going to shake. Third thing, it's a sure message. The angel which I saw stand upon the sea with the Upon the earth, lifted up his hand to heaven. A sign of a pledge. He lifted up his hand. What an awesome imagery. It reminds us of that final vision that Daniel was given in Daniel chapter 12. And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever that it shall be for a time and times and a half when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. God is saying, I pledge this is going to happen. This is not, you know, now sometimes we think, you know, this might happen. We were hoping to get in this building. We had to keep kind of pushing the forward a little bit. We finally, it happened. But here's God saying, this is going to happen. And when God says it's going to happen, folks, it's going to happen. He's not going to lose that appointment. When my early ministry and I first started serving the Lord, I would make appointments with people. I just usually write it on any kind of piece of paper, thinking that if you write it down, you'll remember. Only thing is, I'd lose the stupid piece of paper. And, uh, but then I found out and realized that the better thing to do is to put it all in a central location. And so you have a little, uh, you know, a little calendar there, and then when these uh, great iPhones came along, everything's there. I mean, I just put it all there. And I've done a lot better at keeping my appointments. But I will tell you, even though I still might miss one, God never misses an appointment. Notice what we read there. It says, there's a specific time. It's a time and times and time and a half. What he's saying is, it's going to happen. I'm going to take care of all the sin that's in this world. Look at verse 6 of chapter 10 of Revelation. And he swear by him that liveth forever and ever. Hallelujah. He lives forever and ever. Now, we run out of time, don't we? I mean, we simply run out of time. There are deadlines that we just, we, we run out of time to get it all done, but God never runs out of time because He is not created in time. He's forever and ever. Who created heaven and the things that are in the earth, the things that are therein are, and the sea and the things that are therein, that they should be time no longer, meaning no more delays. That's it. Done. Finito. God says, it is time I am going to bring judgment on this earth. In the next few months, Antichrist is going to be gone. The false prophet, gone. Satan is going to be bound and thrown in a pit. And it's coming. That's what he's saying. He's saying, now this is the seventh trumpet. The seventh trumpet is the final trumpet. It is the final judgment. So he's saying, it is forever 
and ever. It's going to happen. No more delays. Look at verse 7. He emphasizes the reality of that. Verse 7, but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when the seventh angel sounds, no more delays. It's time. It's done. This is the end of the tribulation period. We're about to move into the the, uh, millennium, a time when there's perfect righteous rule. In the days of the voice of the seventh angel, he shall begin to sound the mystery of God is finished. That mystery that he declared to his servants, the prophets. God has been giving all these mysteries to the prophets. Many times people read through Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Zechariah and all these prophets and they say, what does all this mean? Well, it's a mystery. Is it an Agatha Christie mystery? No, it's not that kind of a mystery. It's a mystery that it is something that is partially given, but not fully given. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says that the rapture and all of the doctrines associated with that is a mystery. Not that it's not known, it's just that it's not fully known. And that's what he's saying here, that this mystery that, I've, that the prophets have been talking about, this mystery that the people of God have been talking about will finally be settled. Now, folks, there's a mystery. We don't know when the coming of Christ is going to be. It's mysterious. That's why we can't say, uh, you know, March 2nd, 2021, Jesus is coming back. Because the minute I say that, I have violated Scripture. God says, nobody knows the time or the hour. But I can tell you there's coming a time when it is finished. And God says, the mysteries are now done. I am here to take care of business. Like, I, like Amos chapter 3 and verse 7 The Old Testament prophet said, Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants and his prophets. This is that day. This is that time. In the time of the tribulation, God says, It's time. It's over. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you something. Today, if you were to just go this morning and you read some news, and by the way, one of our wise men told me this week, he said, You know, I just usually take about five or 10 minutes, kind of get a little snippet of the news. He said, I just move on. He said, I can't watch it very much. It just gets me so infuriated. But folks, I'm telling you, when you do get at least enough of that snippet, you're going to say, good night at drug abuse and murders and uh, corruption. And man, it reads like the book of Revelation. Read just like what it says in, in Amos. He said, this mystery is even being explained right now. But what's coming is going to be done. It is a startling message. This Michael angel standing up saying, it's about ready. Just pause for a minute and let it sink in that it's finally done. A sealed message. You need to uh, pray about this and get prayed up. It's a sure message. Even though we can't be sure, this one is sure. Because when God gives it, it is absolutely sure. It's done. It's time. Evil will be put down. Now the final thing is, it is a solemn message. It ends with a solemn assignment. So John is there. He's thinking, okay, what do I do now? Am I supposed to seal this up or am I supposed to tell it? God said, now you're supposed to tell it. Verse 8, and the voice which I heard from heaven, meaning God, spoke unto me again and saying, go take the little book. Take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. So here's this big old angel, Michael, standing on the sea and the earth. He has in his hand this scroll, this little book. And then God says to him, look what he says, verse 9, just this imagery. And I went to the angel and said unto him, give me the little book. And he said unto me, take it and eat it up. Eat the book. But you need to be, no, it will make your belly bitter. But strange enough, it will be in your mouth sweet as honey. What in the world? What is something that is both sweet and bitter at the same time? Now look what he did. Verse 10, I took the little book out of the angel's hand and I ate it up. And it was exactly like he said, it was in my mouth, sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. 
It reminds us of that great prophet Ezekiel in chapter 2 and verse 8 when God told the prophet, son of man, open your mouth and give and eat what I give you. Really, it is simply a graphic illustration of the power it comes when we ingest the Word of God. Not just sample it, but I mean chew it down. In the book of Hebrews, it says that some people, they only can take a little milk. But the strong, those that are willing to take the strong word, they can give meat. And that's why we like to say around here, this is not a a little baby milk church. This is a T-bone. This is a ribeye church. We want you to get the word of God. We want you to eat it down. And it ought to be sweet to those people. That's what David said in Psalm 119, that amazing chapter. I can't read 119 without just sitting there weeping and shouting. I love Psalm 119. How sweet are thy words to my taste. Yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I've heard people, some people say, oh, I don't like the Old Testament. Man, I love it. I love the Old Testament. I've heard some people say, I don't like the book of Revelation. It scares me. I love it. Some people say, oh, I only love the Psalms. Well, I love the Psalms too, but there's a whole lot of Psalms that are not Psalm 23. There's some pretty violent Psalms, but I love them. I just love the fact that God is so honest, so clean, so pure. The Word of God is pure. It is a beautiful, wonderful uh, power behind the Word of God. It's like honey. And yet at the same time, I must admit it's bitter. You'd say, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, look what Paul said when he was talking to the Corinthian church. He said, I must tell you, being a pastor is a strange business. He said, it's a strange thing. You might think that it's all about fun and joy and all the joy to preach and serve God. I mean, just all the good things that happen. He said, and it is that. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 15. For we are unto God a sweet savor, a sweet savor of Christ. In them that are saved and in them that perish. My wife and I took a little trip up to Virginia City this week, kind of walked around that little ghost town, and we walked into one little store there, and they had those waffle cones, you know, you put ice cream in. I don't know what it is about those things, but I'm telling you what, you can smell that down the street. My, I'm like an old beagle, you know, I just kind of go for those stores, and my, oh, the sweets. You can smell the sweetness. We walked into that place, and she had peanut brittle. I love good peanut brittle. And uh, she, I, she said, hey, would you like a taste? And I said, absolutely. Oh, it's so sweet. But you know what? Paul said it's a sweet taste, the things of God. The gospel is sweet. The word of God is sweet. But look at the next verse, verse 16. To the one we are sweet who accept Christ, to those who get saved, it's a sweet thing. But to those who refuse Christ, frankly, we are the savor of death unto death. And unto the other, a savor of life unto life. Who is sufficient for these things? What he was saying was, it's a challenging thing really to preach. Because at the very moment people are accepting, some people are getting hardened. The sun, the brightness of God, the holiness of God just melts those that have yielded hearts. But for those who are bitter, angry at God, unwilling to accept God, the preaching just makes them angry. Mad, just storm out of church and won't open the Bible and are angry at every conservative because it hardens them because they have a heart that's unwilling to receive Christ. At one moment, it's sweet. At the very same moment, it is hardening to people. And that's what God is saying here. He is saying, John, you need to know this, that the message you will preach is both going to bless people and it is going to make people bitter. Better or bitter, it's their choice. But finally, Christ is glorified and the Bible is respected and our God reigns. And that's the message of Revelation. It is both sweet and it is bitter. It is a message of judgment. But to those that receive it is a tremendous message of mercy. It's a rainbow. And at the same time, it's thundering. And God puts that rainbow to remind us that in the midst of God's judgment, 
There's always mercy. And then let's look at the final verse. He said, now it's not time to seal it now. It's time to open it up, verse 11. And he said unto me, thou must prophesy. Not meaning just a foretelling, but forth-telling. Spirit-filled speaking of the Word of God to everybody you can. Everybody. And as often as you can. Many peoples. Many peoples. We were up there, as I mentioned, a little, took a little day off. And uh, one lady looked outside. and she, We were standing out there. And she said, isn't it a beautiful day? And I said, yes, it's amazing what God does. And she looked at me and said, amen. <laughs> you know, it's amazing what we can do is just wherever we can, take an opportunity just to say, God does this. And it says we're going to prophesy before many peoples. Everybody needs to hear this. Every nation needs to hear that Jesus is the hope. Jesus is the answer. Every language that there is needs to hear it. And folks, that's the amazing thing right now with these new Google Translate. I mean, I was talking with a fella uh, golf with, and he, uh, he was a car salesman. He said, it's a funny thing. And uh, he, said, he said, four, I think four of the last five or six sales that he made, he said, I had to use Google Translate to complete the deal. He said, one Russian guy, one Vietnamese guy. He said, it was, it's just, he said, it's so amazing that you're just talking. Folks, that is used for God. That can be used for God. We can be missionaries everywhere. Just have that little Google Translate. And there are certain apps now that they even do it on the fly. Can you imagine while you're talking? It's just talking to that person. Thou must prophesy again before many peoples, all the nations, any language, and now we have that ability. And kings, don't forget to tell the political leaders. Tell them. Tell them how sweet it is to accept Jesus. Tell them how glorious it is to be saved. It is the sweetest. It's like honey. Sweet, delicious, pure honey. It'll be the greatest thing. It'll brighten your eyes. You'll just be, it is so beautiful. The gospel is beautiful. Friends, we must understand that the same gospel that is sweet is also bitter. And that's why Paul said in Acts chapter 20, he said, you need to know something. And I want you to bear record that I am pure from the blood of all people. Verse 27, I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole, all the counsel of God. If we're going to be honest, we must tell people, if they don't get saved, you are going to That's not, I, I'm not here to be harsh. I'm not here to be unkind. I'm not judging. I'm just telling you, you can accept it or not. It's not on me. I've done my part. It's on you. But I will tell you, if you do not bow your head and humble yourself and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you will die and spend a, all eternity in a fiery hell. Friend, you must get saved. I, have not, I am not about to trim the gospel for anybody's sake. That's what Paul said in Romans chapter 2. Thinkest thou, O man... That somehow you're going to escape the judgment of God? Good luck on that. Good luck trying to talk God out of judging you for your sin. Good luck with that. And I will say, if you tell the kings, as it says here, if you tell those that are in authority, don't imagine you're going to get a, a good uh, recept, reception all the time. Now, thank God, sometimes it does. Thank God some get born again. And sometimes, like Nebuchadnezzar, they have to go through a little bit of up and down before they get it right. But John the Baptist told Herod, and he lost his head. Folks, I'm telling you, it is a, it is a message that is both sweet and bitter. The message of Revelation, it is a cloud, but it's a rainbow. It is thundering, but it is sweet as honey. I close with this uh, story that I read because I think it fits what we're saying. 
The story I read this week was a young man that had been in the criminal justice system. And he needed to be there. He had committed a serious, several serious offenses. His family was shocked. All that knew him, shocked at what he had done. They found him guilty on all charges. And all that remained was for the judge to pass sentence. The judge uh, came in to the chambers there and all arose and he asked them all to be seated. He then said, the defendant will rise and face the court. The moment had come for this young man to face the payment for what he had done wrong. He realized that at that moment, his entire future really rested in the hands of a judge he was now facing. The judge repeated the charges and reiterated, finding guilty by the jury on each charge, such as aiding and abetting a criminal act, guilty. The use of a firearm in doing that, guilty. And as he went down the line, tears were brought to the eyes of this young man. And then he looked at this young man and he said, young man, I hope you realize just how serious these charges are. He nodded his head that he did. He said, well, we've noticed that in the course of this trial, you have shown remorse. We've gotten lots of good character witnesses about who you are. And so because I'm a juvenile court judge, I have the right to make sentence. And he said, because of what I see and what I hear, he said, I'm going to give you one year of probation. Now, right or wrong, he wanted to give the young man a chance. The judge whose countenance was merciful then changed. This young man who had felt so much relief began to wonder what in the world. And the judge looked sternly at this young man. He said, young man, it is my responsibility to protect society from people like you. Now, I've given you a chance. And all the while he's writing. He said, but I am writing the sentence that I could have given you. And he said, I'm putting it in an envelope and I'm going to give it to you. And I'm going to hand it to you and to your parents. And he said, I want you to know something. That if you ever show up here again, you ever do anything like this again, the full weight of the law will come against you. And everything that is written will be held to your account. And with that, he dismissed. And I think that story seems to be just like what God is saying. This angel with a book in his hand and a hand raised to heaven saying, you can say what you want. You can do what you want. You're free to make any choice you want. But know this, you can have mercy or you can have the full weight of the law. Honey or bitter, your choice. Take the honey. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. A great reminder of how important it is to receive Christ. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, and for those of you that